0: If we may all all rise for the reading of God's Word. Today's passage comes from Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls. The word of the Lord means forever. Please take your seats. If I may be allowed to pray before I start... um, I always like to pray before preaching God's word to remind myself and uh, everyone here that uh, it is his word, not the wisdom of men, that is being proclaimed today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, we humbly come before you because we desire to hear from you, Lord. Lord, Lord. Uh, It is to you that we have committed ourselves. It is you that we are in love with. It is you that we depend upon. And so it is our desire that you be the one that is displayed today. Lord, uh, whatever may be our needs today, we pray that you would meet them by the provision of your word and your spirit. Lord, would you use me? To be the mouthpiece uh, of your word, would your spirit go forth? Or would it not be merely uh, logic and reason, but be life and power for us? In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So when I first started dating my wife, uh, I came up with a date plan, and we decided to go to an escape room. I don't know if any of you have ever been to an escape room, but the idea is that you get trapped inside of this room, a small room, and there are all sorts of clues everywhere. I remember in our particular escape room, there was like a clock, there was a map, there was all sorts of different things, and you get started and and you're looking for clues, and you find one clue which directs you toward another clue, and then once you solve that clue, tells you another clue and you keep on solving one clue after another until eventually you get the key to escape out of the room. And so you're given about an hour to do this, at about the 45 minute mark, we finally found the key. And you know, my wife and I, well then girlfriend, we're high-fiving each other, we're congratulating each other, we're like, we're pretty smart, we got this down. So we unlock the door, we open it, and uh, we walk into the next room full of clues and and, and more things to solve. Needless to say, we realized that we were not as smart as we thought we were. Sometimes we think that the Christian life is like this, that God is leaving all of these little clues everywhere around us, and we're supposed to be watching out for them, solving these riddles to figure out what the next step is. And somehow we think that if we screw up or we don't solve it in time, we read the wrong riddle, we get off path, that we may lose what God is giving to us. We ask those questions, you know, what career should I pursue? What happens if I got the wrong one? What if I made the wrong choice? I should have gone here. I should have turned left, but I turned right. Is that how the Christian life goes? What what are you supposed to do when you come across a, a difficult decision? What is the wisest choice? Well, I hope as we look at the book of Proverbs today, that we can find out what wisdom has to teach us about making wise choices. What kind of a choice would wisdom make if wisdom were in our same circumstances? And you would think that the first thing that wisdom would say about making wise choices is to use wisdom. Makes sense. Be wise about your choices. Use wisdom. But actually, that's not what it says. Proverbs 3, 5 says this. Do not lean on your own understanding. Our passage today actually tells the person who is searching for wisdom to not rely on his own wisdom. Now, is is wisdom a bad thing? Is it something that we should avoid? Not at all. Not at all. After all, the entire book of Proverbs is about wisdom. It's the pursuit and acquisition of wisdom. And wisdom is more than just knowledge. Knowledge. If knowledge is, is knowing how to do something wisdom kind of tells you when if if knowledge asks the question can we wisdom asks the question should we wisdom is oftentimes more difficult than knowledge but here's the thing there's a, a limit to wisdom there's a limit at least to human wisdom now. When you want to make a decision, oftentimes you gather as much intel as possible. You want to know as much information so that you can make an informed decision. You want to know what choices are available. Is there door A, B, C? Is there a fourth option? But sometimes we just don't have enough. We want to choose the right tool for the job. Now, uh, my son, he loves excavators. I, I don't really know how he came to love excavators. It wasn't like when he was a baby, we gave him a toy of an excavator or, or had pictures. No, the very first time he saw an excavator, he just, ah! and he was in love. Everything is excavators. And one of the things that I found out as I uh, was researching more excavators and drew more excavators and bought excavator toys is that there are all different sizes of excavators. You've got small excavators that could actually fit on this stage with a bucket that is probably about the size of this stand to enormous, gigantic excavators. Each excavator is used for a different job. Now, you could also use a shovel To move earth, that's true. You can use a spoon to move earth. If I needed to uh, pot some plants, I could very well use one of those little garden shovels. That's fine, that's sufficient for the task. But if I wanted to dig a foundation for the house, there is no way that I'm going to approach this task with a little garden shovel. They both do the same thing, absolutely, but it's just not enough. It's not big enough. You need an excavator for that job. That's our wisdom. There's a limit to our wisdom. It's just not big enough. It's good. It's good that we use wisdom. But there are times when the information that we have is just not enough. When the resources that are available to us is just not enough. And there are even times when we wonder about wisdom itself. After all, how, how do you even know that you're wise? It's, it's like, uh, this is the thing about someone who's drunk, right? You know, before you drink, you think to yourself, okay, you know what? If I get drunk, I'm not going to drive. Of course, that totally makes sense. But once you are inebriated, your judgment is impaired, and you use that impaired judgment to evaluate your own ability. And guess what? You think to yourself, I can drive. I can do it. I'm totally fine. But the problem is your ability to judge has been impaired. So you can't make that decision. How does an unwise person become wise enough to know that he's unwise? There comes a point when we just have to acknowledge we don't have enough that we are blind and we cannot see. So then what are we to do? If we acknowledge, yes, my wisdom is not sufficient. We come upon a, a difficult uh, decision to make, and we go, oh, you know what? I don't have all the information. You know, I'm not even sure if I, my my motivations are correct. I'm not even sure if my, I can make the wisest decision. Then what are we supposed to do? Just sit around and do nothing? Are we supposed to just be paralyzed? No. This is when Scripture tells us trust. In the Lord with all your heart. Now it is unfortunate that in the modern English we associate the word heart primarily with feelings and emotions. You know, when you think about heart, and you know, we get all gooey inside. We think about the the the, the butterfly feelings and whatever else, but in the ancient world and in this context, that's not it at all. Now, emotions are involved, absolutely, but it's so much more than just emotions. As a matter of fact, in the ancient world, the word that they used primarily for their feelings was, was their gut, their spleen. Now, we, we still have a carryover for this. We talk about gut feelings. You know, you get a gut feeling and, and, and kind of what's not instinct, um, uh, yeah, I forgot the word, but, you know, just, just it's not rational, but you have a feeling about it, right? That, that's, in the ancient world, it was the, the spleen that was the primary seat of emotion. The heart was actually the primary seat of the will, the decision-making faculty. You might have heard the term, the heart wants what the heart wants, and when someone tells you that, what they're saying is, it's not that I want to do this, but my heart wants it and I can't help it. I just, you know, I, I, I got to go with my heart. It's actually the opposite of that in the ancient world. The heart is where you make decisions. In the ancient world, there would be my gut wants this, but my heart says no. But the heart is more than just just the emotions and, and, and the seat of our will. When we use the term, the the heart of the matter, what does that mean? Uh, There was a song uh, a long time ago, I'm going to age myself here. Uh, The song was called The Heart of Worship, right? When that song is talking about the heart of worship, what is it talking about? It's talking about the the central core of worship. That when we worship, it's, uh, yeah, feelings, that's good, that's all good. But the heart of it, the central core of it, the purpose of it is what? It says, you know, Jesus, right? Sing along. The heart is the core of the person. It's what composes the most important elements of that person. So to trust in the Lord with all your heart is to trust in him with the whole of yourself to decide to trust in God. But there is also something else that scripture commands us to do with all of our hearts. And if you don't have this memorized, you should have it memorized because it appears both in the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, Jewish people, all good Jewish boys and girls, memorize this passage. And it is what Jesus Christ taught his disciples is the culmination, summarization, paraphrasing, whatever you want to say it, of the entire command. He gave two. And the first was what? Love the Lord Your God with what? All your heart. You see, we're not told to trust in a God that we have absolutely no relationship with. We are told to trust in a God that we are already commanded to love with all of our heart. We have already directed all of our will toward the pursuit of the love of God. And then we are told when circumstances come and decisions are hard to make, then what? To trust in that very same God with all of our heart. But not only that, we know and are assured, are assured that God loves us in return. So much that what? He gave his only begotten Son. If God has done this, then what should he withhold from us? We're not called to place our our trust in, in some sort of an ancient pagan God that's capricious and does whatever he wants on his whim, who cares nothing for us and our future. We're told to trust in a God that we are in a loving relationship with. And when we are lacking wisdom, when we don't know what the right decision to make is, we are told wholeheartedly, willfully, trust in the God who loves us unconditionally. Okay, now what? You have a circumstance, you don't know the right choice to make, you acknowledge, ah, I'm not good enough. My decisions, uh, they're probably wrongfully motivated. I'm probably gonna mess all this up. I trust in you, God. Is God like a GPS that tells you the next turn to make? Go straight, turn right. Does God send an angel to show us the way? Sometimes we, we wish he would. A Pillar of, of clouds by day to give us shade, a pillar of fire by night to give us light for our path. Now he has done that before, absolutely. But is that what God is telling us to wait for? Are we, are we waiting for commands to fall down from heaven? This passage says what? Verse 7, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. In our trusting God with all of our heart, in wanting to make the right decision, God says what? Fear the Lord. Now we have a lot of trouble with the concept of fear in the modern world. But fear is so important to wisdom. It is inseparable to it. Actually, the, the, the book of Proverbs begins with what the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You can't even start to know knowledge and wisdom until what you fear the Lord. And Proverbs and and Ecclesiastes, they're supposed to be taken together. It's it's one, one book, it's all about wisdom. And at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, it says this, verse 13, chapter 12, the end of the matter. So all wisdom has been taught, all has been heard. There's nothing more you need to learn about wisdom. And what's the conclusion? Fear the Lord. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Fear of God is considered the beginning of wisdom and fear of God is considered the conclusion of wisdom. In order for you to start to know things, you need to fear God. And when you start to know things and come to know things, eventually all of that things that you learn tells you what to fear God. You can't know anything unless you fear God. And everything you know concludes with the drive to, to cause you to fear God. Then what is, what is the fear of God? Is it, 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 are we supposed to respond like some horror movie? Like terrified of every little sound that happens? Quaking underneath the blanket, hiding under the bed? No. Not at all. I know this is what we think about fear most often nowadays, but that's not it. Fear of of the Lord has to do with the greatness of God. Now, when I was uh, the pastor uh, at MPC, we had the wonderful opportunity to partner together to do missions. And some of you here uh, went on missions with us to Arizona and we had an opportunity to go visit the Grand Canyon. And when you actually visit it in person, you realize that pictures do not do justice to the Grand Canyon, it, it is a hole in the ground, sure, but it is so much more when you are standing on the ledge at the edge of the Grand Canyon and you're looking down You can't help but tremble in fear. Why? Because you know one little slip and you're falling down and it'll take you seven seconds to hit the bottom. Seven seconds to regret your life decisions. That's the kind of fear that this is talking about. It is a recognition of something that is so vast and powerful and has so much power over us that you cannot help but tremble. It is a reasonable, rational fear. It's the difference between an irrational fear and a, unreason- or a reasonable fear. I have uh, arachnophobia, which means uh, even if it's a tiny little house spider. Actually, um, this did happen at MPC in the middle of a sermon I'm preaching, and this spider jumps onto the uh pulpit and starts crawling across and I jump back and um, our, our then Deacon Yi, now Elder Yi, had to come up and um, kill the spider, a tiny little spider. <clears throat> that is an irrational fear. It's irrational. I know that that spider cannot hurt me but I think something happened when I was a child and uh, I probably, you know, had this ingrained fear in me. I have nightmares about spiders. I kicked my wife once really hard because I had a nightmare about, I was trying to kick the spider that was coming at me. That's a irrational fear. But being afraid is a good thing when it's a rational, reasonable fear. Being afraid of, of, of handling weapons, you know, I'm an army national guardsman and, and uh, They teach you to fear and respect. the. If you don't, they won't give it to you. You need to understand what that weapon is capable of doing so that you give it the proper respect. That's a good fear. And that's what this is talking about. If you're standing on that edge of the Grand Canyon, you are definitely going to be afraid. There's going to be a a, a palpitation of your heart because you know one slip, one tiny little slip and you're falling. And that is the holiness of God. And that's why fear of the Lord, it inevitably leads to turning away from evil. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 3, 7 tells us the fear of the Lord doesn't cripple you into doing nothing, hiding underneath the bed. The fear of the Lord motivates you to pursue holiness and to reject evil. The fear of the Lord, when you see that edge, causes you to back away and say, what can I do to prevent myself from falling into that? But it's not, it's not just rejecting evil. Later on in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 says this the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Now, sometimes we think like rules exist to, to limit us or prevent, uh, to, to restrict us, but that's not it at all. You know, uh, uh, when we go out into the range as an army, um, when, I, when I go out into the range to, to visit soldiers, uh, there are many safety rules that are involved. You have to wear your, your Kevlar, your helmet. You got to wear your iPro. You got to put in your earplugs. Ear you got to have the vest on. They say, you know, your, 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 your muzzle discipline must be secure at all times. That weapon better be pointing down or up, never pointing at a person. If any of these rules are broken, they take you right off the range. And there are people high up, over looking over everybody that's out there why why do these rules exist they exist to keep you safe they exist because it's dangerous you fear what it could do and then the rules keep you safe from that and so you love the rules because it's keeping you safe fearing god isn't just rejecting evil it's Hating the evil that could cause you harm. And it's only when we reject and hate that evil that could harm us that we could truly feel secure and enjoy fear. What do you mean by enjoying fear? Proverbs sixteen six says this, the steadfast love and faithfulness by st- sorry, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When we know that the consequences of evil are so severe, and we know the power and justice of God to punish evil, we hate evil and we turn away from evil. But when we know that our evil is atoned for, not by what we have done, but because of God's chesed faithfulness, his steadfast love, the kindness of God, then we could be secure in him in the face of that evil. Back to that Grand Canyon example. It's when we can feel secure, when we know, yes, we could fall but we're not going to because there's a safety harness that is keeping me secure. This is the reason why people like to bungee jump, right? They, they jump over and they're there. There's that risk and danger and they're falling, but then that bungee tightens and prevents them from hitting the bottom and they trust in that bungee and then they can enjoy that fear that when we are standing in the edge and we look deep into the holiness of God and we realize the magnitude of the consequences for all of the evil that is in our life and we have the security of God's faithful love holding us, preventing us from falling, then we can look deeply. That's why we reject the evil. But as much as we are told to fear God and turn away from evil, we're also told to know God. Verse 6, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Now, I, I, I do think it's a little unfortunate that the ESV chooses uh, to translate this term as acknowledge it's more than just acknowledge when we think about the word acknowledge we usually think about it as some sort of an intellectual recognition of something like I acknowledge your existence but it's more than that the base word is actually just to know to know in all of your ways know God after instructing the student to pursue wisdom the teacher tells the student this then you will understand the fear of the god our fear of the lord and find the knowledge of god the fear of god it inevitably is connected to the knowledge of god the the more you know god and and the magnitude of his holiness the more you come to fear god the more you fear god the more it causes you to want to know god more and in seeking to know God, then yes, you acknowledge him. You make him known in your action. This is the wise way of life. If most decisions, I mean, it should stop here. Uh, a decision comes to, your, to you, you ask the question, can I know him more? Can I make him known more? For instance, if you have two job opportunities, one, allows you to worship with your church family. It doesn't pay as much. The other pays more, but it requires you to miss your worship. That's not a difficult decision. If you're pursuing the knowledge of God, and your desire for every decision is what? To know him more than if one decision causes you to not know him more and the other decision causes you to know him more than that should be an easy decision. If one decision causes you to not make God known more, if someone looks at you like, like you know, they say, oh, you can do anything you want and, and please God. And Can I dare say that it would be you? cannot be a stripper (laughs) because it doesn't cause God to be known more if one decision allows God to be made known more? If you can bring greater glory to God and your testimony of his power and his holiness and his grace and his love is more evident in that decision than the other, then the decision should be easy. That's not the difficult decision. So he's saying, if it comes to it and your desire, your motivation is to know God more, like, you know, when you're deciding to go to a college, you know, does this college have a church a faithful church community that I can be connected with? What is my spiritual life going to be if I make this decision? You know, is this person that I'm considering marriage with, are they going to deepen my relationship with God? And if the answer is no, then the decision is clear. So if we live in this manner, if we... Make wise decisions in this way. What does it result in? What does it it produce? And he will make straight your paths. He will make straight your paths. Now, many of us probably learned this passage that God would direct your paths. That God would tell you the right decision to make. That's why we get to this whole escape room mentality, like you're afraid of making the wrong decision. You're thinking, you know, God, please show me the right decision to make. That's not what this passage is saying. He's not saying that he will direct your paths. He's saying he will make straight your paths. Now, the, the battalion that I'm serving is a, a, an engineering battalion. And there are two engineer uh, types of engineers in our battalion one is what they call horizontal engineers what do they do if the army wants to go from point a to point b they have a path and then they send the the horizontal engineers out there with their bulldozers and their excavators and and their graders to do what to make a path if there's something in the way they take it out of the way right they level the ground that same word being used here God is going in front of you and leveling that ground so that your path is straight. He's not setting you on the right path. He's making the path. You get the difference? It's not a fear of I'm going to be on the wrong path. If you are pursuing to know God and to make him known, you are in fear of him. You are acknowledging that, oh boy, you know, my wisdom falls short, but I'm going to trust in you with all my heart. Then whatever path that you're on will be straight. This is what he's saying. It's not a fear of, did I choose the wrong job? Did I choose the wrong spouse, the wrong location, the wrong church? Whatever decision we make, if we're we're fearing God, we're loving Him, we're wanting to know Him more, we're wanting to make Him known more, God will make that path straight. After all, God didn't set us on the path of salvation? Did he knock on your door and say, hey, guess what? You're on the wrong path here. You really need to go over there. So you need to stop doing what you're doing and walk your way over there. No, what did he do? He made the way for you. Neither can you anymore go the wrong way after salvation. I don't know what kind of decisions you may be facing today. I don't know if you feel like you're at the end of your wits. like You don't know the right decision. Uh, I can go A, I can go B. It could be important decisions. It could be minor decisions. It could be career related. It could be what you want for breakfast. But when you come to a circumstance that you acknowledge exceeds the power of your limited wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Know Him in all of your ways. And He will make straight your paths. He will make your paths for you. When you in love for him submit yourself into his loving hands, then you cannot, I repeat, you cannot walk the wrong path. God will make your path the right one. He will cause you to know him more and to make him known, whether that is through triumph or through trial. Let's pray.